Let's uh, turn first to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 1. Amen. I hope that you are uh, enjoying and receiving uh, some uh, good things from this current study. There are things that I think the Lord is wanting to uh, remind us of. Some of this stuff is not new to, to a lot of us, but also sharpen us in some areas. I heard Creflo Dollar teaching on this subject uh, recently, and he had taken so much criticism for teaching biblical giving and receiving and biblical prosperity that he had basically just told the Lord, look, I'm, I'm going to move on to something else. And, and the Lord told him, he said, he said son, I, I will hold you responsible for the financial well-being of your people. You, you, you have to teach these things to them. And I think sometimes we, we think of this as like maybe icing on the cake instead of the cake or instead of the meat and potatoes on the plate. When we, we talk about you know, our finances and the role money plays in our lives, it's, it's, it's critical. We've said that money is a tool. We've said that money is influence. We've said that if you want to get the world's attention, few things get it faster than money. And so these things are very important to not only our daily lives, but to the furtherance and the building of God's kingdom in the earth. Meaning what? Meaning it takes money to do that. And we'll look at some verses that relate to that this morning as well. But let's do a quick review from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Jesus speaking, Take heed you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And as we said last week, charitable deeds means uh, giving to those in need, giving finances and, and aid and assistance to those in need. He says, Do not do it to be seen uh, by men, Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, notice not if, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly." Sometimes lost in this is what Jesus is actually trying to say to us. He's actually explaining to us how to receive benefit from our giving. He's talking about how to be rewarded by God the Father for our uh, giving to others and giving to those in need. And somehow over the years, giving to be seen has been translated in to giving to receive. And Jesus is saying, do not give to be seen, but he's saying, here is how you give so that you can receive a reward from your Father and he will reward you openly. So we made this simple but important point last week. Giving to be seen and giving to receive are not the same thing. Now, if you're new to this study, I know that some of this may sound a little odd at first to you, but stay with me please, okay? What we're seeing from Scripture is that you should never give to be seen, but should always give to receive. You should always give to receive. 
And that giving and receiving are not two separate actions, but two parts of one act. Now, we also see in Matthew chapter 6 that giving and receiving is about more than giving and receiving when it comes to doing it in a way before God that God rewards openly. And what we see, of course, is that it has more to do with honor and trust, right? It has more to do with honor and trust. And so when someone gives to be seen, Jesus says they're doing it to receive glory or honor or pats on the back from men and that if that's why you give if that's the motive behind your giving that whatever reward you get from people patting you on the back for doing it is the only reward that you will receive okay now the word reward though and this is where I really want to just remind you again the word reward in verse 4 means the fulfillment of an obligation or expectation and I put up on the screen the Greek transliteration is apodidomai, and the word apo is from, and didomai is to give, and this word means to give or to do something necessary in fulfillment of an obligation or expectation. And so we see that God has obligated Himself to reward those whose giving honors Him. You can't miss this now. Just like so many other subjects in the Scriptures, we try to understand these things from our perspective and fail to look at them from God's perspective. And, and we've, we've got to stop making that mistake. And when it comes to giving and receiving, Father God has obligated Himself by His Word. Amen. So when Father God promises or states something in His Word, when Father God says, if you do this, I will do that in His Word, and we do this the way He instructs us to do it, he has obligated himself, not just to you, it's, it's more than that. It, it, it goes even beyond him obligating himself to himself. He has obligated himself to his word. So this uh, portion of Matthew 6 could literally be read this way. And your father who sees in secret will personally fulfill his obligation, his obligation and your expectation by openly giving to you in a way that is undeniably him. Now, we'll look at the verse in a moment, but if you remember what God said about tithing in Malachi, He said that He would open the windows of heaven, He would pour out a blessing you do not have room enough to contain, that He would rebuke the devourer for your sake. And then He goes on to say, and nations will call you blessed. Nations will call you blessed. We've been learning on Wednesday nights how to receive from God. And what we see is that receiving from God involves a comprehensive approach. There are several different aspects or elements involved in receiving from God. And many times people get focused on one of those elements to the exclusion of the others. And of course we know that faith is key to receiving from God. It is a key element, a key aspect of receiving from God. But it's not the only element, it's not the only aspect. And we see that associated with faith, genuine faith, is this thing the Bible calls hope. And hope is a confident expectation that rests upon genuine faith. Faith is the substance of your confident and joyful expectation, things hoped for. And it's the genuine hope that enables you to endure 
believing you've already received before you actually hold in your hand what it is that God's given to you. And so all of these are, are elements and aspects of, of what's involved in receiving from God. And so we see that expectation is a key element of faith. The Bible says God has given to every person the measure of faith. And that the measure of faith God has given to you, 1 John chapter 5, is the victory that overcomes the world. And we've taught on these things and, and, and referred to these things many, many times over the years. And so Satan is very uh, uh, intimidated by the prospects of you and me learning to live by faith. Because whatever we learn how to do by faith, we, we will be victorious in that area in our lives. We need to learn how to do marriage by faith. We need to learn how to do finances by faith. We need to learn how to do child rearing by faith. We need to learn how to do our jobs and careers, whatever it may be, to ha- how to do it by faith. Get faith into the game, so to speak. For so many people, the, their MVP of faith is, is relegated to the bench when you need to learn how to get faith into the quote-unquote game of your life so that you can win and be victorious and be successful as God has intended for you uh, to be. And so we see then people, quote-unquote, give by faith, but because they've allowed the enemy and religion to separate receiving from giving, they've learned how to give by faith, but they don't think receiving by faith is, is, is part of the picture or, or something that's supposed to be included in that. And this is a lie from the devil. So when religion tells you you should, you should give but never give and expect to receive, it sounds so humble, it sounds so holy, it sounds so spiritual. And, and, and the opposite side is, is to say that I give with an expectation to receive. Man, people are like, who does he think he is? That's, that's prideful, that's arrogant, that's condescending, all these other things. But it's, it's all smoke and mirrors from the enemy. Let me say it another way. You give by faith and you receive by faith. And receiving by faith means an expectation to receive. Do you see how the enemy has tried to steal that from us by saying you should never give with an expectation to receive? That's like saying, and you've heard me say this over and over again, that's like saying a farmer should never plant seed with an expectation of receiving a harvest. We've learned giving and receiving from a buying and selling economy. We need to learn giving and receiving from a farmer. So we say we're going to give this by faith. But then have no faith, or let me say it another way, we have no belief that we're going to receive anything in return because of what we have given. Okay? Now, we looked at several verses last week. I've got some new stuff I'm wanting to get to, so I'm not going to go back over all of those things. But one of the, one of the foundations that we were really trying to put in place and, and shore up last week is what the Bible says about God rewarding those who seek Him. Because that's what Jesus taught us in, in the Matthew 6 passage, is that if you give in a way that honors God, God will openly reward you. He will reward you in a way that is undeniably Him. He will reward you in a way that other people look and say, man, something's going on with them because there's no way they could have done that themselves. 
We could call it an over-the-top reward. Remember, this is how God rolls, right? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And then we looked at Romans 12 where it talks about you becoming living proof of a living God and your life proving the good, beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing will of God for mankind. And then we looked at Ephesians 2 where God wants to make an example of you for the world to see of His kindness and the riches of His grace. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, that God through your life would prove to the demonic forces um, His wisdom. Let me just read that one to you, Ephesians 3 and 10. To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. It's not enough for God to prove His wisdom to the devil. God wants His wisdom to be proven to the devil through your life, through your life experience, through your life reality, and to this world. He said it this way, simple as I know how to say it, the world needs to see that it pays to serve, honor, and obey God. The world needs to see that. The world needs to see that. And nothing gets the world's attention faster than money. And no wonder the devil wants people to associate living for God with boredom, a restricted life, and poverty. So God not only wants you to prosper financially, He needs you to prosper financially. He needs you to. To prove to the world His ways and wisdom are far superior to the world's system. Have you ever wondered why God commanded His people not to work on the Sabbath? Have you ever wondered why He said, work six days and rest on the seventh? I think the most common answer would be, well, people need some rest and God saw that we needed some rest. But if you start to really study out and explore what rest means in the Scripture, it means more than taking a nap. And one of the fundamental reasons God wanted His people to rest one day and do no work one day out of seven was because every other nation on planet Earth worked seven days a week, fingers to the bone, just to survive. So God told His people, do not work on the Sabbath. Number one, because He's trying to teach His people to trust Him. He's trying to teach His people to recognize Him as the source of of their uh, supply and of their uh, resources and of the things that they want and need. He's, He's wanting to prove to them that He can take care of them without them working seven days a week, that they can actually set a a day aside to honor God and to worship God and and not have to be all focused on uh, having enough uh, money for the month. I don't have all the statistics in front of me right now, but Chick-fil-A, company that I worked for during high school and college, as you well know, they're closed on Sunday. And you may not know this, but, you know, there have been, you know, folks that have quote-unquote, done the math, and the hundreds of millions of dollars that they are, quote-unquote, sacrificing by being closed on Sunday. But what folks don't realize, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, is that when you compare nothing against Arby's, okay, love me a good roast beef sandwich, okay, but Arby's would be like similar in scale and scope as far as the quality type of, not, not busting on McDonald's, but it's, just, it's a little cut above your average fast food. Amen or oh me? Am I getting you hungry now? I talk about food too much on Sunday morning, right? But when you compare 
the average store sales to a Chick-fil-A location to an Arby's location that's open more hours and, and seven days a week, it is, it's not even a comparison. The income that Chick-fil-A receives, why? It's because they're honoring God. They, make, they, don't, they don't say, well, you know, we just want to give our employees a break. No, we are taking a day off to honor God. They've made that clear, and they've taken a lot of heat for that, if you don't know. Isn't that funny, too? People like, you shouldn't be, what does it matter to you? Get you, get you two chicken sandwiches on Saturday if you want one on Sunday. You know, I mean, why do people get mad? It's, it's, it's like the guy that got, got mad at the, at the labor foreman because um, he paid the people who work less time the same money. He's, look, sir, this is mine to do with as I please, right? God wants the world to see in your life that his ways are superior to theirs. So no work on the Sabbath when everyone else worked every day was intended to teach God's people to trust Him, to prove to God's people that He is their source and not their own individual hard work. But also, He wants to prove to others that His ways are superior. Now, let's get to this here for a few minutes. God has obligated Himself to His Word. And we see this, uh, and of course, throughout the Scriptures, but where it's, I think, more concise is Psalm 138 and verse 2 where it says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Have you ever heard the expression, and it's to me is not a Bible expression at all, but you ever heard the expression, do as I say, not as I do? Parents ever told kids that, you know, you do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's, let's, let's get free from that lie right there, okay? All right. When God says he prefers his word above all his name, he is saying that he has made himself subject to his own words. How about it from the Amplified? I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth and faithfulness. For you have exalted above all else your name and your word and you have magnified your word above all your name. So when it comes to who he is and what he said, both of them are pretty high cotton, right? I mean, pretty, that's, that's way on up there, right? But if you want to know the difference, the greatest of these is love, right? Faith, hope, and love, okay, those are great things. Greatest of these is love. He says he's magnified and exalted above all else, your name and your word, and you've magnified your word even above your name, above who you are. Somebody said it this way, for God to violate his word would be for him to violate who he is. Now, I've been hesitant to, to do this, but I, I wanna, I'm trying to put some of these lies to bed once and for all, okay? Uh, I might say put them to bed, put them in a grave and bury them. I mean, let's just get rid of them, okay? But maybe, and I've probably said this before, but just follow, follow me on this for just a second, okay? I often hear people talk about an expected blessing associated with giving and receiving. Um, so notice now, it, this, we just kind of use the term blessing, okay? So let's say somebody tries to buy your lunch, and you say, oh, no, no, I, I'll pay for mine. And they may say something like this, don't steal my blessing. Right? You ever said that? I probably said that, amen. Don't, don't steal my blessing. 
Or don't cheat me out of my blessing. When somebody tries to do something nice for you or give you something or, 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 or do something and, and, and you try to resist or whatever, and sometimes that's where the, the context of that kind of statement would be made. So notice that these types of phrases reveal an underlying thinking that some sort of benefit comes from giving. Some, some sort of, uh, of, of, you know, we call it a blessing, but some kind of bonus would come. But what kind of benefit? What, what do we mean by blessing? What, what do people mean when they think and speak of receiving a blessing when they give? Now, listen to me. I believe blessing is used in this context as a code word. Blessing really means we're expecting to receive something in return for our gift, but we don't want to admit it. Blessing is therefore left vague and undefined and easily construed to mean the benefit others are receiving from our gift. Right? You, You follow me? Using the term blessing provides a convenient degree of separation from the forbidden expecting to receive, while at the same time floating a subtle hint... In God's direction. Can we expose the fallacy of this? The ridiculousness of this? The thinking then goes something like this. If you give to receive, then you won't receive. So make sure you're giving... (laughs) Let me put it on the screen, okay? The thinking goes something like this. If you give to receive, you won't receive. So make sure you're not giving to receive so you'll be sure and receive when you give. Do you you see the silly game? Do you see the silly game? Now look, if you you give expecting to receive, you're not going to receive. So make sure when you give, you're not expecting to receive so you will be sure and receive when you give. I mean, do we, think, do we think God is senile and can't see through that? Can, can, can I just, this is as plain as I know how to say it. It boils down to one simple question. And this is the one simple question that I want every person in this room and every person watching online listening to me right now, I want you to answer this one simple question. Are you ready? Has God promised to bless and increase you financially when your giving honors Him? Has He promised that? Has He said that He will? This God who prefers His Word even above His name, even above who He is, this God who places Himself in subjection to what He has said, will He honor His Word? Will He honor His promises? And has He said to you and to me, I will bless you, I will increase you financially when your giving honors me? Has He said that? Because either he has or he hasn't. Do not let false humility, religious tradition, buying and selling mindsets, or lies from the devil influence your answer. Right? So let's just look at this, can we? How about Proverbs 6 and 38? This is straight from the lips of Jesus. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. 
There's a lot that we could talk about here. I'm trying to just hit some of these fast because there's, a, there's, a, there's quite a, a, a long list of these. Or I, I'm only going to try to focus on maybe four or five different passages this morning. Given, it will be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. There are things that correspond with um, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Different types of goods that fall into the category. Like, for instance, liquid goods would, would be the ones that run over. Um, soft goods would be the ones shaken together. Am, am I the only person that likes it when they fill up the fry thing to sh- kind of shake it down and put a few more in the top, right? Shake that, right? Okay. And then how about goods that you can press down and put, put more on top of? Like when the garbage can gets full and your wife says, hey, honey, you mind taking out the garbage? You look at it and you go, and you push it down to get about three more inches in there. It's good. I'll get it tomorrow. Just pressing it down. Pressing it down. Packing it in. For some reason, ice cream comes to mind on that one, right? When they just pack it down in there, right? Okay. All right. Now, put into your bosom literally means in your lap. Why is this important? Not to be confused with what Jesus also taught us about laying up treasure in heaven. Getting quiet. I want it to be quiet. See, that's the other thing. When we start getting a hold of this, then what religion, again, inspired by the enemy, religious thinking inspired by the enemy, he says, yeah, but, you know, he's talking about you receiving something one day when you get to heaven. Yes, Jesus said you'll receive in this life and in the life that is to come. It's not either or, it's both and. And so laying up yourself treasure in heaven, that is one of the benefits of giving and receiving here upon the earth, but also giving and receiving. The the King James Version says, shall men give into your bosom. So he's not talking about some angelic blessing that will be received a thousand years from now. He's talking about on the earth, something physical, tangible that you can hold in your hand or place in your lap. It will be given into, put into your bosom. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. He says, honor the Lord with your possessions. So your barns will be filled with plenty. So means for this reason, in order that, to such a great extent. He's saying if you, if you want your barns full, honor God with your possessions. Give to Him the first fruits of your increase. Perhaps in the days ahead, I'll spend a little more time on the... Some, some people say the tithe and the first fruits are the same thing. I, they're, they're not. Amen. They're, they can be related. Um, two examples of first fruits in, in mine and Pam's life. We, we did not receive any kind of financial compensation or salary uh, the, when this church first started. As a matter of fact, the cabinet shop helped pay all the the lease and electricity and, and, and all that stuff. We, 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 wanted to, we, we wanted that to be first fruits. Um, my first book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, that's first fruits. Amen. I, I'm not here. I mean, I've, I've had people that have helped me do it, um, but thousands of those we've been able to give, sowing it, first fruits. Are you following me? Okay. So we'll talk more about that. But honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. My dad planted some pecan trees. They just started out very little. And years and years and years, I don't know, 12, 15 years, they finally, one season, they had some pecans on them. That was the first fruits, right? 
squirrels were getting them when we were heading out to church on a Sunday morning. True story, right? Came back from church, last pecan. Here comes a squirrel down the tree with it. Dad got him with a twenty-two pistol. I'm telling you. He wanted to know what the, the, first, the first pecans were precious. Are you with me? All right, that's more to come on that. So honor the Lord with your possessions. He, this is God speaking to you so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Honoring God with your possessions is a tangible expression of trust. Okay, Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You were cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, the curse that he's talking about being cursed with is we see that cursed is the man who puts his trust in man. Jeremiah, I think it's 17, explains this to us. And so when we put our trust in money instead of in God, what we're really doing is putting our trust in man. Remember, the dilemma of of trust is control. And so we keep trying to figure out a way how, we keep trying to figure out how to scratch our trust itch by deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're trusting something we don't control. But if you put your trust in money, that's something that ultimately you can have some control over. Amen or oh me. Let me just keep going here. So you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. Back to prove, try, prove me. King James says, prove me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see what God is saying here? If you will do this, I will do this. He has obligated himself to his word so that when we do what he says in his word, and he has said here yet again that if we will honor him with tithes and offerings, that he will increase us to such an extent that we don't have room enough to contain it. God wants those who do not know or honor him to call you blessed. To see how blessed you are and for it to be so great that it's undeniably him. Now, let's go. We've got time to look at one more. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Notice we're looking at Old and New Testament. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. He says, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So from time to time, and obviously COVID has kind of slowed some of that down, but, but we hope for it to be, uh, you know, at some point in the near future, uh, for that to change. But um, if we're having like a missionary come, a uh, missionary evangelist, someone that's, that's serving God on foreign soil, and we're going to receive an offering for them, 
to the best of my ability, I try to give you two, three, four, even a, a month's, weeks or, or, or a whole month's notice. You know, one month from today, um, John Smithwick's going to be here on Wednesday night. We're going to receive an offering for him. Why is that? Because I want you to have time to prepare. That's biblical for you to pray about it, for you to think about it, what, what you're going to do, if anything. It's biblical. Are you seeing this? First, Paul didn't like spring it on them at the last minute and try to, you know, whip them up into an emotional frenzy to get some money from them. And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. To be clear, the context here is money. They're talking about a financial gift. And that is the context that continues throughout the next six verses or so. The context is money, preparing and giving a financial gift. Now, there's something else I want to point out to you because here we see that it be a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. This is another thing the devil, through uh, religious influence, he tries to reverse the expectation obligation components of giving and receiving. What did we see from Jesus? That when we give in a way that honors God, Father God has obligated Himself to His Word to fulfill your expectation. Right? We covered that in greater detail last week. But that's that word reward. That's that word reward. It's something given or done. I feel some of you slipping away. Something given or done to fulfill an obligation to meet an expectation. When it comes to giving and receiving, when we give in such a way to honor God, God has obligated Himself by His Word to you and me to fulfill His Word, to to fulfill, meet His obligation, so to speak, where planting, sowing, and reaping are concerned, but also to meet or fulfill your expectation. So let's just make it clear, when it comes to giving and receiving, we need to think in terms of the obligation part being on God's side and the expectation part being on our side. Religion tries to flop that around so that you will be obligated to give because God expects you to. Are you seeing this? Sweet Jesus. Praise God. 11.36. Four more minutes. Five more minutes. Can you stay with me just a second? Right? Do, do you see this? Well, you know, I mean, God expects me to give, and so I'm kind of obligated to do it. Now, see, you're wrong. You've got it backwards. God is the one who is obligated in, in the giving and receiving uh, 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 equation. It's, it, your role is expectation. God's role is obligation. Your role is expectation. He does not want you to give from a sense of compulsion. He's going to use that word here in a moment. Or obligation. He wants you to do it out of a, out of willingly, out of a generous heart, cheerfully. Now, part of me says skip over this because I'm not trying to confuse you, but there's another part of me that really maybe this will kind of be the switch that flips it for some folks. The Lord's prompted me to tell you, be careful using the phrase giving back. That's real popular in our world right now. Well, we're giving back. We're giving back. You say, Pastor Mark, what's wrong with giving back? This phrase often reflects a mindset of debt 
associated with the increase that we receive and it results in a payment based on guilt instead of a gift given or a seed planted. I mean, we've, we've, we've received so much, it's, we just need to give back. No, see, again, are you, are you guilty because you received so much and we're going to feel better about yourself because you give? A farmer doesn't say, I need to give back. A farmer says, man, thank you, Lord, for this bountiful harvest. Let me share some of this. Let me sell some of this. Let me eat some of this. And let me plant some more of this so we'll have even more next time. But this I say, he who sows sparingly, verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give, and that's, again, the context is finances, money. Let each one give money as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here we see not only God's word concerning giving and receiving, but we see it directly connected to the principles of sowing and reaping. And he says, if you give slash sow sparingly, then you will reap a return. You will receive from that giving sparingly. But if you give bountifully, you will receive bountifully. Not only is he saying that you should expect to receive when you give, but you should expect to receive in proportion to the gift you give. If a farmer plants three rows of corn, should he expect to receive five acres of harvest? No. Grudgingly means cause of grief and sorrow. How many people mourn over their tithe? Like, they don't plant it, they bury it. When you, when you, when you give in fear, God doesn't call that giving. He calls that burying it. It's a difference. We'll talk about that more later. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He's able to make all grace abound towards the one who gives out of generosity and from cheerfulness, but he is not able to do the same for those who refuse. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies bread to the sower and... I'm sorry, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. From the Amplified. I'm going to read it without comment. Okay. The Amplified. 
That is why I thought it necessary to urge these brethren to go to you before I do and make arrangements in advance for this bountiful promised gift of yours so that it may be ready, not as an extortion wrung out of you, but as a generous and willing gift. Remember this, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly, and he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully, under compulsion, for God loves, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be, uh, and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. As it is written... He, the benevolent person, scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on and endure forever. And God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating, will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. Thus you will be enriched in all things and in every way so that you can be generous and your generosity as it is administered by us will bring forth thanksgiving to God. There are people that you will never meet this side of heaven that have given thanks to God because you have chosen to give. And as a family of faith, we have supported ministries, the Hari people that we've talked about, they're just so rejected and so considered outcasts in, in Pakistan. The government doesn't even try to stop Christians from evangelizing them. They could care less about them. The people that you've helped feed, the people that you've helped shelter and clothe there, they're so thankful that somebody came to help them. And your gifts, are you, are you following what I'm saying? You, you weren't there when they were thanking Jesus. For the person who came with some food for their babies because their house was made of mud and sticks and it dissolved in the flood and everything they had was lost. And now here comes some born-again, spirit-filled believers pulling up in a truck with, with rice. And See, again, I'm not, it sounds like I'm fixing to take an offer. I'm not. I'm, just, I'm trying to help you see what he's talking about here. We were all created by God to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And it's, it's amazing how when we trust and honor God with our gifts... The, the, the ripple effect. But then also he says, as you plant that, it causes you to increase so that you've got more to plant so that you will have an abundance for every good work. Every good work. Amen. Those who are going to help serve communion, if you would please come forward. Amen. Luke, thank you, brother. If you would uh, get the children to come in. Um, thank you, Jesus. Are you getting anything out of this? Man, I, 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 religion has, the devil has lied to you, telling you you should not expect to receive when you give. It's not, it's not how this works, not how any of this works. Amen. Giving is how you receive. They're one and the same. They're, they're two parts of the same action. Amen. All right, praise God. Let's uh, we'll pray over the service. And, and um, Father, we come to this special time now of communion.
Uh, we thank you, Lord, for helping us, Lord, in these areas of our finances and some of the lies, Lord, that we've believed that are being uh, exposed by the light of your truth and helping us to see more clearly your plan for our financial sustainability and prosperity. Thank you for helping us, Lord, as, um, as we put these things into practice in our lives. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Matt, Vanessa, Daniel, come on up.